welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, I'm joined by my guy, Will Give You Law the Third. Will, what is happening? Man, excited to be here. Texas weather, let me just say this. We've been waking up to the 50s and ending the school day in at 81, 82. So when I tell you it's been like beautiful, perfect weather, like OMG. It's, yeah. So, yeah. This morning, waking up and going outside with my dogs, with my coffee, I was like, I almost need my hoodie. A little bit of, little bit of steam coming off your coffee at that time? Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful, man. And I know that's nothing compared. Y- y'all are probably getting snow already. No, <laughs> we, haven't gotten, we haven't gotten snow yet, but we did have to cover our plants because there was a frost advisory last night. Wow. Okay. But, hey, I'll take 50 in Texas, you know. After the summer we've had, yeah, I'll take fifty all day. When I was when I was living in Houston, this was this was the time of year where I started to play more golf than I did any other time. Was like October to to March. That's that's the most comfortable time to be outside. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so groovy. All right, well, we're pumped this week to have a guest on our show that we connected a little bit through Instagram and through. Um, our friend Lauren, who we had on the podcast, and this person reached out to me. And obviously, like, if anybody reaches out to me, like, we got to bring him on the podcast. Absolutely, 100%. Heather Cassiopo, thank you for joining us on our podcast. We appreciate your time today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And I was just joking. I'm, uh, if if you're, I don't, we usually don't release videos, so no one will be really seeing this. But as we're looking at this, I have, like, these big hotel curtains behind me because we're going to a wedding today. And she's got her nice, like, beautiful logo behind her. So I'm very jealous. So, <laughs> yeah. So, Heather, can you give us a little bit just of your background and, and how it is that you got into the teaching profession and kind of what you do now? Of course. Um, so I am a special education teacher currently in Illinois. Um, I teach a self-contained middle school classroom. Um, but I am virtual all year this year. Teachers had the option to be in-person or hybrid, whatever that plan was going to be, or be virtual all year, kind of in a separate entity of school. Um, So just for the safety of my son, my family, I made the decision that I would be virtual all year and whatever students were there was who I was going to service. Um, As far as how I got into teaching, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, It was since third grade, was probably when I first clicked that I really wanted to be a teacher. Um, I was diagnosed with epilepsy in third grade, so I missed a lot of school, Um, but my teachers were so amazing and really inspiring. Um, So that's really where the driving force came from, um, is early in elementary school. Then once I went to middle school, I was working with one of my teachers who showed me the special ed classroom in my middle school, and I had no idea it existed. It was definitely a self-contained classroom, secluded away from everyone. Um, So that really opened my eyes to special ed. I also had a friend who had a brother um, with a cognitive disability. And so that was also really eye-opening that he was 22, but really was thinking and talking like a five-year-old, didn't quite understand. So that all kind of evolved into, I definitely want to go into teaching. I need to figure out what this is. How can I make this more inclusive? How can I, you know, service these kids that growing up, I had no idea about. They were always thrown in a corner, almost it seemed. Um, So that's why I went into special ed. What part of Illinois are you in? Um, Like about 45 minutes from Chicago. Nice. I'm in the suburbs. Yeah. I mean, we won't hold, we won't, I'm a, I'm a Wisconsin guy. So, I mean, you know, we have this little, little, little friction there with the Illinois people. We of always course. joke about how, about how the Illinois drivers are the worst drivers in the world. I could believe that. I try to avoid the city when I can. <laughs> so 
so when you say you're so you so every teacher at your district that wanted to teach virtual was given the option to teach virtual yes there was a survey that went out for teachers and they could choose based on the plan that we had like i don't know late july early august which that plan changed 12 times um they got to choose if they felt safe with the current plan and they would want to go back if they didn't feel safe but would um come back anyways or if they were like i have a medical condition or a family member of mine has a medical condition and i cannot return um there was really no in between it wasn't like well i'll do either or i want to do one but um i really don't have a medical condition or whatever it was like because everybody has their own reasons for why they wanted to teach wherever they wanted to teach um and at the time my dad was going through um he had fallen in april and was going through rehab and surgery um, we found prostate cancer at one point, so he just had prostate surgery. And um, just for the beginning of the year starting, I was like, I need to be home and I need to be safe just for the lack, the, the exposure. You know, I didn't want to continue that and bring something on to my dad that, um, yeah, it shouldn't be. Right. right. Wow. So that's ultimately where my decision lied. And, and when you had that choice, they said, whatever you decide is what you're going to do for the entire year. Correct. Correct. So they needed teachers to service this virtual academy. Um, but they also needed teachers in person. So they wanted to get numbers to figure out where they had to hire. Um, so that was what we had to do early on. Um, so even though the plan changed a ton of times after we all chose, um, basically you just had to pick at that point like what did you feel safest with and what did you want to do so a lot of people chose in person because they were worried they wouldn't have a job because so we talked about job security and how maybe next year if we don't have to do virtual what happens to all those virtual teachers do they come back in the building you've now rehired teachers to fill their spots um so i think that's where a lot of people chose to do in person even though maybe they had hesitations um, is they worried about what happens next year or the year after that when we all have to go back to being in person with all of us wow. if, if that does happen you know wow so I have a question is your virtual Academy is it synchronous or asynchronous both so our expectation um, is two and a half hours synchronous two and a half hours asynchronous a day um, so that's across the board. So since my students are mostly self-contained in my room, that all comes from me, um, as well as related services such as OT, PT, speech, things like that. Um, that also comes in that two and a half hours synchronous and asynchronous. Um, so yeah, I teach virtually for two and a half hours a day, um, probably about two because that extra half hour they get in an elective or a related service or whatever. Um, and then that asynchronous, they'll do assignments on Google Classroom. There might be activities to do. Um, I have like even a choice board where they can go and get off the computer. And I'm like, mm. go take a walk, go clean your bedroom, something else that doesn't have to do with um, being on the computer because Honestly, my classroom is working on life skills anyway, so this is a great time to continue to do that. Wow. And, and now that you see the plan that they put in place, are there a lot of teachers that chose virtual that would have wanted to go back or are people pretty happy with the choice that they made? I think people are pretty happy with the choice that they made. I know some people are really frustrated with like, technology and learning all of that because we could use zoom but we could also use google meets um but everybody's required to have a google classroom um so i think the early in the year i think a lot of people were really frustrated because there wasn't super guidelines of like this is what we have to do this is how we have to learn this is the curriculum um some people are using an online curriculum that we've all paid for um, but then you have people like me who's special ed and I got middle school and my kids are at kindergarten, first grade abilities. Um, so there's really no 
online curriculum that's going to truly meet their needs. Um, so it, you do see me pulling a lot of teachers pay teachers resources, things from a box curriculum, but it might be just like a unit or a worksheet or whatever. Um, we're just trying to piece it all together, but also make it work virtually. So if I have a printed box of curriculum, it's so hard for me to give that to somebody else, um, you know, virtually, because we don't have access to, um, you know, those virtual curriculums, because we've never had them. We've never needed to. Right, so it's basically create a, a gap in the marketplace for, for especially for virtual teachers who are teaching life skills, mm -hmm. because again, there's never, there's never been a need for anything of this type in, in educational history. Oh yeah, for wow. sure. Oh man, before we get too deep in the weeds, we do want to ask you our other introductory question. So when, when we started this podcast going on four years ago, we just said we want to inspire teachers and help them become the kind of teacher that their kids deserve. So when you hear that phrase, the kind of teacher kids deserve, what comes to mind for you? Um, I immediately think of giving kids a fresh start. In special ed, there's always certain stigmas that come with certain kids as they come down the pipeline. Um, so from elementary to middle, middle to high, um, I always hear a lot, oh, that kid's going to be such a handful. You're going to have trouble with him um, or her or whoever it is. And always like, you know, I talk to the teachers ahead of time before I get new students, um, but I always keep an open eye and I read through their IEPs and of course I do all of that, but the IEP is really only a glimpse into who they are. Um, but I want my kids to know like that they're going to have a fresh start with me no matter what. Um, you know, every, every day is a new fresh start. Every, um, you know, new teacher is going to be a fresh start. Every new class period, every minute, like, you know, you may have made a not so great choice before, but you know, we're going to move on from it. And um, next time I won't poke the bear or whatever it is, and we'll figure it out. We'll work through it. Like, because um, sometimes I do, I set up my kids to, you know, see how far I can take them. And sometimes I take them too far. So, and I don't mean to, but I need yeah. to know their limits too. Right. Right. And I think that's so interesting because that's something, because my school is doing a hybrid, but we only, they only offered virtual teaching to four one one content area teacher in the middle school so i'm the only social studies distance learning teacher mm -hmm. so like trying to grow and go through that i'm i'm exactly in that spot where i'm trying to figure out where and how i can push kids mm -hmm. in a situation where you know we're we're doing things we haven't ever done before mm -hmm. so what you know just you were talking about a little bit more, but could you elaborate a little more on how 2020 has gone so far? I know you were talking about the, the way your, your district made choices, but how has your specific experience been so far? Um, I would say I've had a good experience so far compared to some of the people that I've heard. Um, of course, I try not to compare. I got to do my own thing to meet my kids um, where they're at, but it, I've had more flexibility than I think a lot of people have. And I've heard a lot of people are teaching in person and teaching virtually. So the suggestions that I do and the things that I do might be different for teachers like that. Um, so I was able to advocate for my kids to continue on a 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. schedule. So that is our school day. Um, 8 a.m. to 9, they have like a grooming, hygiene all by themselves. They do breakfast, get dressed, all that fun stuff. Um, I felt that wasn't something I needed to do. So we start at 9 a.m. Um, with check-ins, everything like that. Um, then we go into math, which, so my classes are about 25 minutes with a five-minute break in between. Um, so it's boom, boom, boom all day long, nine to one with my kids. Um, and I was able to have some of that flexibility to do that. Um, Within last two weeks, my district had decided that they were going to send all the virtual academy kids from eight to three. 
which wasn't what the parents agreed on. That wasn't what they signed up for. Um, so I had a lot of pushback from parents saying, what's going to happen? My kid can barely even focus till one o'clock. <clears throat> so I was able to work with my district a little bit more to have my class out of all of the virtual academy classes um, be able to stay nine to one. So um, our day is packed with academics and I can move academics around or change up my schedule. I don't feel like people are watching me as much, um, which is good and bad. I kind of wish people would know what I was doing all day long, but um, I like that I can have a little bit more of that flexibility that others may not have. Um, you know, that if I'm in the middle of a reading lesson and I can see like all the kids are like this, like um, I can switch it up. I can go, all right, we're gonna go and we're gonna do a craft instead, or we're gonna go, we're gonna do a cooking lesson instead. Um, and you know, I can pull that <clears throat> quicker. And I, I could in the gen ed, or in the classroom as well, but it's kind of nice to, um, you know, be able to do that. So I <clears throat> kind of went on a tangent there, but the main reason I think I can do that is because I have such a good relationship with my parents. I'm working with them throughout the day to see your kid doesn't seem right. Is he okay? Oh, he's tired. All right. Well, if you need to go take a half hour break and come back, you know, so he can take a nap or whatever. Um, I'm working on that all day long with parents. I'm like, I see your kids getting frustrated. If you need to log off, go ahead and do that. Um, you know, I know that's not behavior management on my part, but um, I've worked with parents and said, Hey, what do you need from me? What can you expect from me? Is there something you want to change? I'm here to help service your child. Um, and since your child cannot have the voice to express that right now, I'm gonna work with you to figure out how can we best serve your child virtually. We know it's not ideal, but I'm here to work with you. Um, so I think that's been the biggest factor is in a regular middle school or regular high school, the parents are a little bit more hands-off, like you know how to log on a computer. Um, but with mine, it's I'm working with parents and students right here virtually, um, you know, and we're all face to face with each other pretty much from nine to one every day. So, I mean that, yeah, that's not. It, it's strange to me that like people still think that what you said is not behavior management, but to me, it totally is. It, you're doing what's best for the kid. Like if a kid mm -hmm. needs a break, like yeah, give give them a break would you be give would you be able to give them breaks like that when you were in the normal classroom setting could they go oh, off and sure. do something different yeah it would look different i would send them yeah. to a calming corner or take them for a walk or um yeah. you know we'd read a book or they'd fidget with a fidget toy or something like that um depending on what the kid needed so the parents are just doing that more at home I guess what I meant when I'm not saying that's not behavior management is I'm not the one facilitating that yeah that that coping go. that walking through that's what I meant and I'm there you go. And, and I don't want parents to think that I'm like dismissing their kid um you know right. I just I've realized I can see and I'm getting a sense of the kids before they melt down and I'm like okay I can see you might be I might be losing you. Um, right. So I think that's that's more of what I meant. And so here's a question. Does your district require all virtual students to have cameras on when they're in, in class? No. No, okay. No, if they have their cameras off, they just have to have a picture of themselves. That's the only requirement. And I think that's just for not having silly pictures on there and things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have one. I told kids to give me a picture in their profile that would remind me of who they are. Okay. And so one little girl has this cat like kind of coughing up a hairball. Perfect. And so every time I see her, even now that I'm back face to face, and every time I see her, she's like, you're thinking about that cat, aren't you? <laughs> I just fall out laughing and I'm like, yes, I am. Yep, I am. for so, sure. <laughs> but I was just yeah. curious, I know like our district doesn't mandate it either, but I know there are some districts around us um, in Houston that require students to have their their cameras on. Uh, my nieces, their school, they have to have cameras on and have uniforms on, you know, and they're kindergarten, kindergarten and pre-K. So they're wow. still having to have, I mean, full uniform on 
just as if they were in the school building. Um, and so I was just, I'm just curious to see. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's so great to have this medium of a podcast to talk to people across the country because it gives you a, an idea of the scope of the adaptation that schools have had to do because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's just good to see that, you know, I mean, everybody's kind of doing what, what's going to work best for our population. And that is, um, I'm sure with your population, it's almost, you almost have to man, make it mandatory that your students are on because you're dealing with those, you know, a lot of those life skills, the things mm-hmm. that the kids have to demonstrate that, mm-hmm. that they can do and they can, and, uh, and all of that. But you don't get any pushback from the parents because the parents obviously are partnering with you. And I caught that when you said that working with the parents is the difference. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to win that parent game. Mm-hmm. You have to win the parent game. Oh, yeah. And that's always been important to me. I just think now it's magnified because the parents are seeing more of it, whereas they wouldn't be able to come into the classroom as much, or, you know, they, they only get the glimpse of the newsletter you send home. Um, they don't really get to see that day to day, and now they are. Um, so I think that that parent partnership, you said it perfectly, is what's key right now. Um, and especially, especially now, mm-hmm. more yeah. than ever. And, and me being middle school, I'm thinking to myself, like, every, every school year, it never fails that this is going to be the school year that I'm going to get good at communicating with parents. You know how many I've reached out to first so far this year? Zero. <laughs> I was going to give you Zero. five. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you were going to give me five. But well, I also realize your class size is much bigger than yeah. mine, and you're, you have a ton yeah. more kids. So in, in the current scenario that we have, like I literally could have touch points with all 275 middle school kids that we have as the virtual teacher. But when our hybrid kids are at home, I'm their contact person. Mm -hmm. So on their days at home, I'm their contact person. But I mean, just what advice would you give to someone who is either like me that has never been good at it or someone that's new to the profession you know, trying to get comfortable in that parent communication. Cause I always fear that like, I'm going to have that one bad experience of the parent is just going to chew my head off or whatever it is. But what advice would you give teachers who are want to improve in the parent communication field? I would say you need to start early. Um, even before the school years even started, um, I know that's so difficult because you don't know the kids, you don't know anything, you're trying to figure out your own lessons and how's the first week of school going to happen and um, there's so much on your plate, but that, hey, I'm your child's teacher, Um, I'm looking to work with you this year, you know, if there's anything you want to let me know early on, great, open that door sooner rather than later. If you haven't opened that door yet, you need to go do that. Um, I've just found being able to be a person that listens to the parents and their stories and um, their concerns and their issues. Cause you're right, Kyle, you're going to have those people that are going to come in and go, well, the teacher last year was terrible and you're going to be terrible too. And like, there's just that stigma that comes with it because they've right. had a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think like kind of like with the kids, you got to have a fresh start. Um, but just listening to them, I think, makes the big difference. That little extra effort that you give them is going to show them that you, A, care, care about your job, you care about your kids, care about your classroom, um, and you care about them as parents. Um, right. I'm a big believer that the parents know the kids better than I can. Um, so if I can start that relationship early um, and listen to the parent concerns, listen to the parents' needs, um, you know, for special ed, it's going to be, what's their future going to look like? What do you want their, their future to look like so that I can start working on that? Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I know for the gen ed, it's not that, it's not that way. And that's fine. Um, but if you have some type of parent communication that you like, stick with it. If it's a newsletter you send home, stick with it. If it's the remind app or, you know, some other communication tool, you know, uh, seesaw, whatever, you know, yeah. stick with it and do that. 
Um, but you got to find what works for you and what works for the majority of your class just to make sure you keep up with that conversation, that it's not just the beginning of the year, like, hey, how's it going? All right, bye. Like, I'm never talking to you again. Like, you need to continue to bring that right. throughout the day. So I, my rule of thumb was always one day a week, I would take a planning period to either email parents, call parents, um, you know, and I know a lot of teachers might have like a, a running list um, of say, all right, these 10 kids are going to be on my list for today. Um, you know, in the next week, it might be another 10 kids. In the following week, it might be a different 10 kids. <clears throat> so it might take you a quarter to get through all of your students. Yeah. You know, um, but at least once a quarter you've you've connected with a parent in some way right. and like with an email it's a running thing so you can keep that open and reply and reply and reply you know a phone call is a little bit more personal but if that takes too much time for you don't do it um so that yeah. would be my suggestion mm. i love that that's really good advice so i i had the chance to watch your educators to educators session this summer about alternative um, alternative communication. And I guess starting out now, is what we're doing currently, like with the virtual, is that considered alternative communication? Or when, when you say, you know, working with students who are possibly argumentative or need other communication styles, what do you mean by that? Um, <clears throat> so, AAC or augmentative and alternative communication right. is there's multiple ways you can do it. There's um, low tech, there's high tech, there's mid tech. Um, so low tech is going to be a lot of paper based symbols. So when I'm talking AAC, I'm talking about students who need a way to communicate that they can't communicate by themselves. Um, mm, it's not okay. us texting, even though that is a way um, it's more of a facilitated conversation and a facilitated um, interaction. So it's more about picture exchange or word exchange with an output. Um, so that's more what I'm talking about. So a kid may click on a picture that then says, hi, or I want bathroom, whatever. Um, so it's more of that communication system for them. You know, and it's interesting, when I started out, uh, when, when I was in college, I worked for a behavior rehab center. Um, and when I took over as the QMRP for the, um, for the center, we had a house that had two teenage autistic boys who were there and we, they just had around the clock caretakers that were there, you know, in the mornings, in the evenings, overnight with them. And they did this, you know, did all the learning with them virtually, I mean, not virtually, but face-to-face -face and mm -hmm. teaching them different things. And the biggest complaint I got was they, we can't communicate with them. They won't say anything to us. They won't, they just yell and scream and throw stuff. And so I went in, the first thing I did was implement it. Uh, let's all learn sign language. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, they're incontinent. I say, because they can't tell you I have to go to the restroom. I say, so when they go to the restroom, let's teach them a sign. Mm -hmm. And so when they were dancing around, I kind of went like this and they were like, oh, so they would point to it mm -hmm. and then I would point to the restroom. Mm -hmm. And then it got to the point to where we would just put the signs around the house. So no matter where you were, if you wanted something, you could push it. Touch it. The, yep. mm -hmm. the behavior just went down dramatically and everybody was like, oh my God, you're like a miracle worker. I'm like, no, it's communication. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have nonverbal people, the most frustrating thing is that I can't tell you what I want to tell you. So in return, I'm going to act out mm -hmm. because now you have to pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. And so when implementing that and having those ways of doing it, I mean, to see those boys go from they were they went from tearing the house up to where Saturday mornings I would get there and they were cleaning the house like we would open up the windows, we would clean the house and they knew, you know, when this, when I said, you know, they would, I would touch and make their bed, they would go in their room and they would make their bed. They were like, they never did this before because you never communicated to them. They never had a way to communicate. Right. So now that you can tell them and that if you ask them a question, you know, did you clean your room? 
And they're like, yes, you know, they, they, they learn sign language and little things like that, it makes the, the functionality of individuals who are nonverbal just skyrocket. I mean, now I can go, I, now I can communicate to you what I need, what I want and how you can, and now you know how to give it to me. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Kyle's so, just taking it all in. I am. I'm so, I'm like, because, you know, and, and for me, like, I remember there was a teacher in it, when Wilkie and I worked together, there was a teacher in our courtyard that worked with those particular students. And I was always amazed at, at how she was able to communicate with students who seemed like in that, in that space. And, and to me, like, I, I know it's not a great example, but like, I have, you know, like a three-year-old nephew that's really like starting to learn how to talk and he gets so mad when he's trying to talk to you, but you don't understand what he's saying. And, and it just, it, I, I guess what are my follow-up question is, so like you said, there's like low tech, like medium tech and like high tech. So what are some of the examples that fit into those categories, especially like the medium tech and the high tech? For sure. Um, so low tech is going to be like pictures. Um, I'm trying to see if I have a picture right by me. I think I do. Um, you know, so just even basic like yes, no pictures. Um, so that you're right, a kid can touch it, whatever, bring it to you. Sometimes it's a, a I have to bring it to you, um, you know, for requesting a bathroom or a snack or whatever. Um, so that's going to be your low tech. It can go with you everywhere. Um, it's usually a paper-based, so, you know, it's easy to throw in a backpack and take with you. Um, Mid-tech, um, I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can, because I know a lot of us, this isn't our background, um, are more like push buttons. They can push a button, and it'll say something for them. Um, so a lot of times, teachers use that to, hi, how are you? Um, or counting, you, know, you click the button once, it says one. Click the button again, it says two. Click the button again, it says three. Um, so that's more mid-tech. Um, I'm not a speech pathologist, so there's definitely more. Um, but that's more of what I've worked with. So that's just um, usually focused for one content or <clears throat> activity, things like that. Um, and then you have your high-tech, which are those communication devices that you might see that have 40 words on a page and so there's 40 different buttons that they can click. Definitely the kids start much lower than they start with five or six or whatever. Um, and then they work as they go through and they build on their vocabulary, um, kind of like they would as a child learning words, um, except for now I'm doing it in the middle school. So I do, I have some kids that are using five words on a device. Um, it's usually an iPad. They also have it on iPhones and things like in Androids. Um, so you can take it with them if your kid's able to have a phone and take it with you. Um, it's really cool. Um, so then that would, there's two kind of types of that. Um, I mean, there's a ton of different communication systems, um, but either there's a one hit where it's just one word and that's all the kid gets and it, or you can get it to build a sentence. So they click one word and it might go to something else. Um, so you may say I, and then it might go to a, um, a verb, um, I want. Um, and then it might go to food, drink, snack, um, bathroom, any of your basic needs kind of thing. So that kind of helps build them build the communication and build a sentence so that people really know what they're trying to get. Instead of just saying bathroom, you might say, I need the bathroom. Um, and it helps build that. So, so students, let's just say, you know, with, like you're working with at the middle school level that are, are mm -hmm. nonverbal, will some of them eventually develop verbal skills or if you are, I mean, because as I've always taught, you know, students who are getting special education services, but when you're in that situation, like we don't have a lot of connection points. So I'm, I'm always interested as to how that works. So will some of them eventually develop verbal or are they mostly just nonverbal and they'll be that way? Depends on the student. 
Um, so some of them can have approximations or word approximations so you can kind of start understanding what they need and where they want. Um, I have one student who is nonverbal um, as a diagnosis and part of the IEP. So they do have an output device, um, but we'll say hi or bye, um, things like that. So there are a couple words that they will be able to say because of what they've heard, because of what they've been working on. Um, but I, I have not personally worked with anyone who has grown out of a device and has gained language. Um, but I don't think I've been in the system long enough to see that. But I would say the majority probably stay on the systems, um, at least in some form. Right. So as, as a middle school teacher in that, in that area, what are the, you know, what is your goal when you're working with students like that? I mean, are there certain, like, what do you, what do you strive to do to prepare them to go to the next level, to go to high school or, or whatever it might be? Um, so for us, it's, of course, everything is individualized and right. it's trying to get them as independent as possible. That is the ultimate goal. Um, anything that they can do by themselves is what I'm definitely working on in middle school. In elementary, they do a lot of those school skills. Um, how do you sit in your desk, raising your hand, um, you know, walking in a line, things like that. That's, I feel like elementary focuses a lot on that. So once I get to middle, I'm that gap between high school <clears throat> and transition where, <clears throat> sorry, uh, students can go from 18 to 22. So, um, so I feel like my time, I'm really working on activities that the kids can do by themselves without a teacher support um, and can do it for at least 30 minutes. Um, so I'm trying to build as many skills as I can. So if they can go brush their teeth by themselves, that's awesome. If they can toilet by themselves, that's amazing as well. Um, that just helps add to that time in the day that they don't need a teacher or somebody there to help facilitate that activity. Um, so as far as academics go, we also work on vocational skills um, and job skills. So we have a class throughout the day when we were in person um, where we would do work boxes or task boxes um, that might be a sorting activity or a matching activity um, so that this kid can build one is confidence that, that they can do this by themselves. They've had elementary helping support them throughout this. Now they get to middle school and it's very scary how teachers are kind of more stand backish and they expect somebody to do it or they expect the kids to do it themselves. So we always work small, um, two, three minutes. Can you do this activity? I'm gonna go check on this kid, I'll be right back. And if I come back and they've done it, <clears throat> all right, can you do it for another couple more minutes or can you do this next task that's similar for another five minutes? I'll be right back. I go and I leave and I'm still keeping an eye. I'm not totally leaving them, but you work on their confidence and you gain that skill of, I can do this by myself. I don't need somebody to tell me good job every five seconds. Um, because in special ed, we get a lot of learned helplessness where the kids feel like, well, I need you. You need to be by me. You need to tell me I'm doing a good job or you need to help me. And um, it's my job as the middle school teacher to say, you can do this. Um, so that when they get to the high school and they do have a working lab that they have to do work job or work and tasks jobs in there, they can go in there for a half hour, 45 minutes and bust out tasks that, you know, it's sorting newspapers or it's, you know, more functional for the real world. Do you, I guess, so how much different is it for you being virtual with these kids when in the classroom you, you are, do they really, do they really miss that physical connection to you and, and seeing that? And how are you working to overcome that? Well, for sure. Um, definitely, the kids are looking for that connection. Um, so I have a class period. It's my first class period, um, which I would have done in person too, um, where I have like a homeroom check-in and, hey, how's it going? What's going on? You know, 
what'd you do last night? What'd you do this morning? Did you get anything cool? Do you want to share things? Um, so the first 10 minutes, of course, we do, you know, check-ins, calendar, weather. But then I try to leave like five, 10 minutes at the end to go, hey, has anybody got a new toy they want to show me or something going on? Wow. You know, what are you doing this weekend? Um, and I try to bring that back into building that connection because it is, it's so important. And talking to a screen as weird as it is, um, so imagine how my kids feel. Um, and so, you know, sometimes that is facilitated by the parents and they say, oh, we have a birthday party this weekend. I'm like, oh, cool. Whose birthday? And then I can follow up with questions and, you know, you're going to bring a gift. What gift are you going to bring? And, um, you know, I'm doing the same thing I would as if I was in person, except for it's now virtual. You know, I'm trying to bring that in as much as possible. And Friday is a fun day. So we try to play a game on a Friday. So, you know, it's those little things here and there. I know I have to get academics done, but the kids' connection is going to be so much more important. Yeah. Right, because as you connect with them and you give them those little tasks, and, you know, I love, like, I'm seeing connect, confidence. Now you can deliver the content because now I've, I've, I always believe that until a kid can taste what success looks like mm -hmm. or, or and I know that sounds crazy to taste what it looks like, to taste what it feels like, to taste, to taste it, then they won't even try to do anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, they won't even attempt it because they're going to feel like, well, I'll just wait for you to bring it to me. Mm -hmm. You're eventually going to give it to me, so I'll just wait. But the moment they realize, oh, I can do this by myself, like I said, again, I, I wish I could go back and find those two boys now as adults who, you know, like I said, again, no, and I was just amazed that I was just an undergrad, you know, in psychology classes, you know, going back to just, you know, just operant conditioning and saying to myself, there has to be a reason that they're tearing this house up. Let's find out the reason. And I walked in like, they can't communicate with you guys, mm -hmm. you know, and so it's like once you get that it's like that once you build that connection and you, and you make them make them feel that sense of confidence that i can do something by myself it's almost like they would rather do it by themselves first and then you come and check and then that sense of pride that i did that carries them over into every other content that you teach everything else you try to give them it's like they just want to absorb it quickly Oh, yeah. And of course, the first couple times it's over-exaggerated. Oh, my gosh, you did that. That's so amazing. How did you do that so quick? You know, you got to you gotta get more animated with it. And they're like, oh, this, this is good? This is what you want me to do? Okay, I'll this do this it? more. Right. Mm -hmm. So just in general, as a teacher, we, we've talked before on our podcast about how easy it can be to as a teacher to feel good about being that person that the kids always need. Like, being the provider but I mean for someone like me especially in the virtual setting like because it is so new my kids are are asking me like questions that I know that they can deal with on their own I know that they can do these on their own so how do you how do you approach that where you're not like being mean about it but you are saying like i I think you can do this on your own. How, how do you phrase those things? I mean, if you're doing it with, with your students, there's no reason a gen ed teacher like myself shouldn't be able to say to a kid like, hey, you, whatever. So how, how do you approach that? Or how would you give teachers advice on for approaching those conversations? For sure. Um, so I have a kid right now who actually is in the middle of this, um, where I know he can do things, but he, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, or I forgot. Um, so for him, I think part of it is that, um, anxiety of being on virtual with other kids. Like he doesn't want to be embarrassed. So, I mean, I would just make sure that that's what it is. And it's not, you're, you're not calling the kid out in the middle of class with, 30 kids um, and that some of that's the embarrassment because usually in class I can hide a little bit more now it's like right. everybody is here right um, so part of it is that for him um, but I would say just keep trying because um, I had a kid for I think it's now week four for me um, going into week five and like the whole time I don't know where the Google classroom is <sighs> 
you got here so you know where the google classroom is um you know whether a parent set that up or whatever you you, you can get here um and then he was like well, I don't know where the classwork is. And I said, well, you know where the stream is? He goes, yeah, I know where the stream is. I click that button every day. And I'm like, okay, well, it's the one next to it. Find the classwork next to the stream. And so, you know, of course I do the whole, like, let me share my screen and show you where it is. You see where my pointer is, you know? And I try to give him the benefit of the doubt, but this last week he turned an assignment. So he knows where the classwork is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think part of it is kids are trying to figure out, well, I could not do my homework before. How could I not do my homework now? I'll just tell them I can't find it. I don't know where it is. Um, so to go back to your question, I would just say, keep encouraging, keep trying, you know, hey, it's okay if you don't know that right now. We'll come back to you and, you know, let a couple kids do it and then come back. Hey, by the way, let's do this next problem together um, or whatever it is. Because um, I think kids are trying to figure out a way to get out of things because they could easily do that in person. But virtual, it's like, well, I'm right here and you see mm -hmm. that I'm right here. Um, so, you know, first check in if is this a social emotional thing. Um, and then I would just say, keep trying. I think kids are still trying to figure out how can I get out of stuff. Yeah, we yeah. we we made the mistake in the spring that we didn't realize that a kid can click the turn in button on Google Classroom and have a totally blank document. Mm -hmm. So it took us a few weeks to figure out like that we had to actually look at it. We couldn't just because in the spring we were only grading on completion. Yeah. And then they came back this fall and we had students that were like, well, I turned it in. And then I have to message them back like, well, you turned in a blank document. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not getting your work done. And, and that's just, it's good know, to I say that though, I have to cut in. It's good to hear you say that, that you're all the way in the Twin Cities and that's happening because that's happened so many times this past two weeks for me. And I just messed, and I had to message them like, you know, you did no work. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're showing their parents, look, I turned it in, I turned it in, I turned it in. Turned it in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but there's nothing there. So I'm very specific. Slides two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight are blank. Please tap into tap on the blue question mark and could put your correct answer in correct, correct, correct response. Mm -hmm. da, da, da. And I have to do that because again, like you say, they're looking for an excuse. You know, they're looking for I try to make my class as easy as possible. When they opened up my virtual classroom, the very first thing they saw was week seven, such and such through such and such. Mm -hmm. You click on the Monday folder, Monday drops down, do one, two, three. So you've had these, you know, I tried to make it as simple as possible so that when they come in, they can't say, well, I didn't know what assignments were due. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know how to, when well, you found my, my, my virtual class, in order to find my virtual class, you have to go to my class first in order to get to this class. And so again, I think we have to continue to work to eliminate excuses for students. But also one thing I try to encourage parents is, is that we're asking K-12 students to do things that really high school graduates struggle with when they're trying to take online classes. You know, we're asking them to set a schedule, to know when to go in and do the work, to complete the work in a timely manner, to make sure they do their best. When you have high school seniors who finished 12 years of school and still are not as adept to doing that in the virtual space. So we gotta give them a little bit of a learning curve, but like I tell them, we're in week seven now. You know, for us, we're week seven there's really no excuse for not knowing and not completing assignments now. There's none. Mm -hmm. But we did ask them to do a lot. You know, I was watching my little nieces who started kindergarten. She started her kindergarten virtually. I mean, to me, that's mind-blowing. And now you want her, so now you know she can't do it, so that means my sister, who's also an assistant principal, has to take time off of her schedule to mm -hmm. walk them through the assignments and basically and even though it's not homeschooling 
I still have to walk them through the process of doing what it is that the teacher is asking them to do to make sure that it's being done. Yep. You know, and again, we, we, I hear a lot of people giving shouts out to the first responders and I'm supporting first responders, but they need to really start giving shouts out to, to teachers who are, who are making this virtual thing work in, in a way that, again, this is unprecedented times and we're doing this thing. <laughs> sure. And that's a huge component because I have office hours from one o'clock to three o'clock and the first four weeks of school, you bet those parents were in there going, how do I get out in the Google Classroom? How do I get the assignments? What assignments do we need to do? And the parents are the ones that are now learning and they're like, wait, I have to relearn middle school art because my kid's taking a gen ed art. Like I'm doing the work. Um, and so it's kind of funny to watch the balance of, you know, okay, I know I, I put way too much homework on the front end because I wanted them to have asynchronous work. Um, so I was like, here's 10 things you can be doing all week long. And they're like, wait, what? And I was like, well, it has to be two and a half hours. So here, here, here you go. This whole list, work on it. And so I've narrowed it down to five. Um, but oh. I was scrambling at the beginning of the year oh, too. Everybody was like, my school didn't make, my school did not make up their mind until the third week in August. Yeah, we changed our start date twice. So I, I, I am interested, I, and I know we want to be respectful of your time, but Wilkie and I have been talking about, like, what the long-term effects of this time will be. Like, will education actually change? Like, will the way we approach it actually change? And, and I'd just be really interested, especially coming from your background and what you teach, do you think that, like real change could be coming in the years following this because we are forced to do something that we never would have otherwise. Coming from a special ed standpoint, I could say yes and I could say no. I think there's some things that may change. Um, I think legal issues are going to come more to light um, coming in sped. Um, realizing the services that their child is getting and what's listed on the IEP may not align. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of people, a lot of parents are seeing, wait, this is what my kid is doing all day? That was not what I thought he was doing. Um, so I could see changes happening that way. I could see, like I said, with the, the amount of parent involvement I have now, I could see them saying, well, my kid thrived in virtual learning. We may just try to find a virtual school and pull their kid from school, you know, in-person school and say, hey, my kid did so much better virtually than in person and whatever teachers you have in your district, um, you know, and, or vice versa. My kid did terrible in virtual learning. I want them safe so they're gonna stay home, but I, I know they need to be back in school. So, you know, as far as changes, I can't obviously say what I think they might be because I, I think a lot of parents are on different wavelengths, you know, yeah. um, you know, some of them are like, yep, my kid's going to stay home until this pandemic is gone and there's no more left of it. Um, and then some of them are like, my kid needs to go back in person, but I don't feel safe sending them back. So I guess we'll stay virtual. Then you have those other ones that are like, they need to be in person. Um, and I feel like I don't have anybody in between. I have those three Different it's types just of those parents. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Just those three. <laughs> well, and, and I wonder too, like the point you made is like, and I was really hesitant to want to be a virtual teacher because of the experiences you had with virtual classes. But th it's been so, like, I find myself more tired at the end of a virtual day than I ever did at the end of an in person day. Yes. And, and I can't really figure that out, but I wonder how many like really good virtual schools or virtual charters are going to pop up in the next couple of years. Cause there's, we were having conversations like there's no guarantee that we'll be going back full back to quote unquote normal at the start of next year. Yeah, you're right. So it's just really, really I interesting. Know. Oh God, I could just, 
Oh my God. I could, I get, we could keep talking about this all day. I know. And that's why I was like, I'll keep it short. I think it could change, but I think it couldn't change. Depends on parent drive, I think. But it's the same, like, and the hardest thing for me going into this was thinking like, if you ask an individual person, how important is a teacher? They will tell you, gosh, our teachers are so important and they do so much for our kids. And at the start of this, you know, over virtual learning and through the summer, who is one of the demons uh, across the country? It's school teachers. School teachers are being selfish that they want to stay safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how dare, how dare you talk about how we don't have the resources? I mean, cause I'm assuming not all, not all districts around you have the option to hire a bunch more people. No. I'm, I know I'm definitely in a good district, um, but yeah, there's definitely other districts that are struggling. Um, even just talking to some people, they're like, well, we don't have a virtual option. Everybody goes back or everybody's hybrid, you know, and that's, and that's what they've done, yeah. you know, because now we've started to go back. I think next week, no, the following week, the schools are going to start coming back in my area. Um, I think we have one more week. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and like my, my friends have... A, a junior and a freshman and the freshman girl has type one diabetes mm -hmm. and through the summer their school district was saying if we're going they're back full like everybody's wearing masks but they have a thousand kids in their high school and they told parents like in the summer this is what we're doing if you don't like it enroll your kids somewhere else and the, and i know where i around where i grew up there are mm -hmm. schools that said that to parents. Like, if you don't like it, wow, that's find, crazy. Find some so those kids with the with, with immune system disorders, um, they're just gonna have to come and tough it out and hope that well, for the best. No, as the summer went on, they they relented on that and they gave a virtual option, but they didn't create their own virtual option. They found a virtual program that they could send those kids to, mm. but a lot like your situation, Heather, with kids, they were like, if you choose virtual, you're going to stay the whole year. Mm -hmm. And I just and see, we have a choice. Like we're, our district is doing it basically by quarter. So you had an option to do virtual or face-to-face -face for the first quarter. And now they just opened it up again and said, now you have the other option to do it for the second quarter. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to continue <laughs> to do that. So I kept my daughter home virtual for the first quarter. Um, didn't work out like I thought it would. Um, I try not to play the teacher card as a parent because uh, I want you to talk to me from teacher to parent, not teacher to teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't even share, I haven't even shared with her teachers that I'm a teacher in the same district. So I know what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, which is kind of fun and interesting because again, it gives me a light on the fact that not everybody's handling the situation the same way. Uh, but it didn't work the way I thought it should, uh, as far as the communication, as far as, you know, I should be able to pop in and see my daughter seeing a teacher face-to-face -face at some point. Uh, but not having that as an option for every course, I said, for the next quarter, we'll go ahead and try to send you back. And if the cases, I mean, here in Texas, our cases, they keep saying the numbers are going down, but the testing is going down. And so when you're not testing as many people, of course, the numbers are going to go down. Um, but we, you know, if the numbers, if I see the numbers are going up or the numbers are staying about the same, then I may just pull her and let her do virtual for the rest of it. But again, starting your freshman year in high school, you want that experience of right. walking the halls of high school and doing all these different things. And, but also I want to keep my daughter safe and myself safe and my in-laws safe you know, to make sure that no one's getting sick and knowing that kids can recover faster, but can be carriers, mm -hmm. you know, be asymptomatic carriers who then go home and now you, you just potentially, you know, exposed a lot of people to, to this virus. Um, I mean, like I say, it's, as a parent, it's tough decisions to make. Oh, very, sure. very tough decisions. Yeah. And very, and with very little information, by yep. the way. No, exactly. I mm -hmm. totally agree. Uh, there was a lot of times that parents found out things from me. Um, and I was like, wait, you guys don't know this? And then they would tell me things. They're like, well, I heard from the district that this was happening. And I was like, wait, 
I don't even know that. Um, so when we did try to change from that nine to one to eight to three, they were trying to get that. They had told me on a Friday at three o'clock, of course, I had called my um, director and my principal for special ed. Both of them didn't know that they were doing this. So I was the one to tell my director of special ed and my principal of special ed virtual that this was happening and they were trying to get us to change from eight to three. Wow. And they're like, well, hold on. Let me go talk to that person you're in the meeting with right now. And I'm like, they're in the meeting telling all of us teachers we're going eight to three instead of nine to one. Um, so then, of course, once parents got wind of that, they talk in the Facebook groups, they talk <laughs> to each other. Oh, and that weekend, I had so many emails come in going, what do you mean? We agreed to nine to one. We're not going eight to three. How dare they? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, hey, I was oh, told no. <laughs> and I, I'm doing what I can, but it wasn't my decision. <laughs> so, yeah. and I get that. It wasn't parents trying to say it was my fault, but. Um, you're, you're their contact person that it's easy for them to. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I spent that whole week advocating my kids need to be nine to one too. This is what the parents agreed upon. This is what they thought was going to happen. Parents have right. rearranged their work schedules to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. um, it, there was just so much going on. Um, and I did want to clarify, teachers that signed up for virtual are a whole year, but students have the option to change it the semester. Mm. <laughs> so good. students don't have to stay for the whole year. Yeah. So. All right, Will, any more follow-ups? before we have you bring this thing in for a landing? Oh, that's it. It's been very eye-opening. I, I love taking notes. Again, not, not for any other reason except for, again, it helps me when I'm making my decisions to know what else is going on so that as I'm trying to, even you know, as an instructional leader, guide my team, I can say, hey, guys, look, this is some things that were going on that we need to implement. Uh, you know, and I know even with my English language learners using verbal cues and using those type of things, you brought that back up to me now that I'm like, you know, maybe that's what I need to implement for them in my classroom to help them be able to tell me what they're, need, what they're needing and how they're needing me to help them because of the language barrier, you know? And so, and it's not just for kids who are nonverbal, it's for kids who may not know the language at all. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, I'm I'm that old teacher that will try new tricks. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um, but as we we always try to ask these same questions um, because we want to just kind of get an idea from people, and these are kind of our staples. Um, and so one of them is, if you could share a message to every student in the country, including the ones you teach. And you know that as they're walking, going in their educational journey, they can see this big, huge billboard that has your message on it. What would that message be? Um, so I touched on it a little earlier, um, but I'm going to bring it back. My students and students in general are more than a piece of paper. They're more than a grade. They're more than a teacher report. They're more than their attendance. They are more than, you know, any type of document that's in their student file. Um, mm -hmm. That life happens beyond school too. You know, yeah, we're always learning, we're always growing um, as people, but what happens inside those four walls matters, but there's more to that. There's more that goes on in life. Um, so I don't want students to be brought down because of a grade or because of a comment a teacher said about them at one point, mm -hmm. um, it, that they will be so much more than that. Um, yeah, that, that hurts right now or that matters to you right now. Um, but down the road, you know, I had a bad teacher in college. I forgot about her. You know, she wasn't the best, you know, role model for me as a teacher. And I think I grew from her. Um, so just, you just know, you know, if you get a bad grade, you're more than that. You're more mm -hmm. than what one teacher has to say about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the last question, as an educator, 
what do you want your legacy to be? I would say similarly um, that my students know that I care more about them than the grades they get or the difficult day that they had. Um, I would say it's the same thing. I want my students to know that they care, that I care about them and I'm putting in that extra time and effort. Um, and now parents are going to see that too, that I'm here for you. I will always be here for you. Um, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm here cause I have fun too, but, um, I'm here because I care and, you know, in my own teacher way, I love you guys, you know, and that's kind of what I want my students to know. That's awesome. We love that. So, oh my goodness. Well, I, I, I'm going to, we're going to say this. If you ever want to come back to talk about anything related to education, you have an open invitation. We would love to get to talk with you more and just get, get to spend time and maybe check in later on through the year and see how things are yeah, going. But for, for people, sure. for people that want to connect with you, what are the best ways they can do that? So you can find me, I'm predominantly on Instagram with full sped ahead. There's underscores in between full and sped um, and ahead. <laughs> um, but I'm also on Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter, but not as much. I have a website, fullspedahead.com. You can find me on Teachers Paid Teachers, Full Sped Ahead, Heather Cassiopo. Um, you know, and then most recently, I'm still presenting for Educators to Educators. Um, yeah. That just came out today, which is yeah. October 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, you'll see me around. I try to keep awesome. my face available. <laughs> awesome. Well, like I said, we appreciate you taking some time and we, we loved getting a chance to have a conversation with you. For sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for coming. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of Value Adds Value number 273 with Heather Cassiopo. It was such a great conversation and, and a perspective that we haven't gotten as often on the podcast that we really appreciate. Um, and teachers from different backgrounds and different perspectives to hear what they have to say and, and Heather's work she's doing this year with her students um, that are receiving special ed services from home and just the things she talked about that will help us both you know Wilkie's back in the classroom I'm virtual um, just it seems like no matter who we interview what their background is where they teach or what they teach we always learn something there's always something that we can take to our classroom and that's why we started this podcast so really appreciate you tuning in please be sure to go follow um, Heather Full Sped Ahead. You can find me at it's Kyle Krieger. Um, you can find at its.will.law.iii or find us at value as value. Those are all on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook as Lighthouse Educator Development as well as value as value on YouTube. So we hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.